The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information about Jason can be found at deroshi-meyer.org. Most of you knew it was coming. We're in Deuteronomy today. (laughs) The laughter comes in the fact that we were in Deuteronomy for the last three years. And we made it from chapters 5 through the middle of 10. So we're taking a break, and now we're going through the whole Old Testament. More than any other book in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy unpacks the nature of Israel's relationship with God. If we want to understand what God was calling them to, a life of love, of relationship, This is our book. It was one of Jesus' favorites. This, along with Psalms and Isaiah, is quoted most by Jesus and by Paul. Deuteronomy is what I call the Constitution of the United Tribes of Israel. It's the book they took with them into the land to understand who they were supposed to be And it was also the blueprint for their history because it told them they were not good and that they were going to get worse and that God would judge them, that the covenant relationship they were in with God would be broken, that the sin that they had worked out in their lives before the 40 years started and after the 40 years in the wilderness would only continue that the consuming fire of God that led them would one day consume their lives forever. That was Moses' view. He had great words for them, calling them to a life of love, calling them to take the law that God was giving them and to have it impressed upon their heart, to control their identity, to shape their desires. Would they but believe God? That's what Moses called for. And yet he also said, you are an unbelieving, stubborn, rebellious people who walk not in, the, in what is right in God's eyes. You walk in what is right in your own eyes. And it will continue to your ultimate destruction until God raises up a new prophet, a new prophet like me, on par with me. I, the great mediator of the old covenant, will see one who comes that triumphs me, who will be a prophet like me, but of a new covenant, in which God will not simply command, he will also enable. And in that day there will be a new kind of grace, an inward dwelling creating grace that will transform your souls and make you into the people that God is calling you to be. All of that in Moses' perspective. We don't have to jump to Paul to get that view of Scripture. It's all here in Deuteronomy. Let's pray. Your sheep hear your voice. They hear your voice. And you know them. They follow you, you give them eternal life, and they will never perish. We thank you for such 
hopeful words. Give us ears to hear, Lord, that we may not be wolves in sheep's clothing, but may be, but may be those who hear and who follow. Work in us today what is pleasing to you. Enlighten our minds, open our eyes, and remove all spiritual deafness. I pray this through Jesus. Amen. It's my goal to only spend two weeks on Deuteronomy. So what I've tried to do, and even in the final moments before class, I realized I've got a lot of material. So I'm going to, at times, jump over some slides so that we can get through what I believe the Lord's called me to give you today. Deuteronomy. When we think of it, we think of second law. When Moses thought of it, it was the final words after he had been a pastor of these people for 40 years. He knows that he's going to die. And this is what he gives them. What's it going to be like when Pastor John preaches his final sermons as the senior pastor of preaching and vision? What's that going to feel like? What's it going to be made up of? These were Moses' final sermons. And they are not law. They are filled with love and compassion. These are sermons more than legislation. It has the heart of a pastor who's longing for his people to live and who knows them very, very well. Three sermons, a warning song, and a deathbed blessing. That's what makes up Deuteronomy. Three sermons, a warning song, and a deathbed blessing. And what I'm, I'm going to approach this a little bit uh, topically, thematically. I want to try to get to the core of what Deuteronomy is about. At the foundation, the bedrock, is God's word, which Israel has failed to heed. So we hear, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Listen to what I'm saying. It's where it all begins. It begins with God speaking and people listening. Here's the pattern that shapes Deuteronomy and that ultimately shapes all of Scripture. We will have the Word read or taught to us. It will give rise to our hearing it with spiritual ears, not just these. And that encounter with the living God through his word will create an inner disposition of reverence, of awe, of fear. We encounter God through his word and the power of his presence working through it. It creates a fear that then overflows in obedience. If you're struggling to heed God, if you're struggling to live for Him, if sin is, has too big of a grip on your heart, you don't fear God enough. 
You don't take Him seriously enough. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. To feel the weightiness of His presence, His undeserved presence. To feel the weightiness of mercy pouring down on us through the cross. Undeserved grace. That God would disclose Himself in His will. Making Himself known to us. And letting us hear. And it's in this context. There's a parenthesis around it. Reading or teaching gives rise to hearing, which gives rise to learning to fear. It's a process. In that context, obedience comes, and all of that together is what Deuteronomy means by life. Eternal life is something that we enjoy today. We taste it, and yet we're longing for the full inheritance. Moses had a perspective like that, on life. Listen to Deuteronomy 31. Assemble the people, the men, the women, the little ones, and the sojourner within your towns. This is Israel. It was made up of everyone, the youngest to the oldest. The males and the females, they were part of this relationship. God wanted all of them to be gathered. Why? That the law might be read. That his instruction might be given. That they may hear. Read this law so that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. Read so that they may hear and learn to fear and then be careful to do. So there it is. Read it so that you can hear it so that you can learn to fear and then do. All the words of this instruction. And that their children not only for you, but to spread it to the next generation, that all their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over to possess. That's the clearest unpacking of the whole scenario. And then we get little glimpses of it in other parts of the text. And we've got to fill in all the parts Here's how it is in Deuteronomy 4. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I'm teaching you. Listen and do. So here, hearing moves right to the doing. The fearing is understood. Listen so that you may do all the statutes and the rules. To what end? That you may live. But notice this is not just live as a reward because he continues this way. So that you may live and go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord is giving you, that he promised to your fathers. Don't add or take away what I'm giving you today. That's the call for preachers. 
They don't teach their own whims, adding anything. Rather, they teach the book. They don't take away what God has said. They teach the book. That's the parameter. Don't add or take away to what I'm telling you that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal of Peor. That's, that's Balaam, how he, after giving the four oracles, enticed Israel to follow the Midianites and God came in in his wrath. It says they were right across the river from Jericho. They could see Jericho. They could see the promised land and they took their eyes off of where God was leading them and engaged in sexual immorality and idolatry. You saw what God did to those people. How he brought judgment on them. But then what does it say? But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive. Keep the commandments so that you will live and you're already alive. So this life is what is experienced with God and it will only enjoy escalation. Law is a broader term in Scripture than we usually use it in the U.S. Law is the normal term for instruction. And in this context, it's instruction for holiness, instruction for relationship. It's not the legal code, although it includes that. It's bigger than that because it includes history. That's also instruction. Look at the past and consider your ways. Deuteronomy is filled with that kind of back-looking and forward-looking so that promises are also part of law, part of instruction. They're the motivating factors, whether promises of warning and dread or promises of blessing all that too is part of the law, part of the instruction. And in this context of relationship where I am not in charge of my life, I'm not the king, I'm the follower. So the, the instruction is coming from God and it's given out of love for the sake of life. It's not about earning a right to be in relationship with this God. The law is what takes place after you're already in relationship with this God. It's the instruction that shapes the relationship. It provides the outer boundary of the circle and everything that exists within it that we call the relationship. And Israel's to heed it, to hear it, to get it impressed upon their soul. This is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you to do. So there's the teaching, and it's for the sake of obedience. He gave me the word to teach you. So that's the reading or the teaching. Now we're on teaching. 
And what is the result? That you may fear by keeping that your days may be long. Or, Deuteronomy 6, the Lord has commanded us to do all these things, to fear the Lord our God for our good, not for our ill, that he might preserve us alive as we already are today. That's the framework. You encounter the Word, and this is the context for life. The image is that God is life, and he's saying, Enjoy a relationship with me. Stay close to me. Following the law is not burden. It's the, it's the greatest gift that God could give Israel. He's simply saying, stay close to me. Follow me. Where I am is life. But to move away from this life source is to move toward chaos and death. That's the image that's being set for Israel. Here's the king. He needs his own copy of this book, Deuteronomy. He's supposed to read it every day. The king is the image of what an Israelite is supposed to be. That's what a king is supposed to be, the ultimate Israelite. So that when Israel looks at him, when the people look at the king, they see a man under authority, a man of the book, a man of the word, a man who's trusting God's promises, a man who is following closely to God. Jesus is the ultimate king. He's the one who embodies this verse, Deuteronomy 17, better than any other person in history. Read the book every day so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God. And as you learn to fear him, you will keep all the words of this law so that this king may continue long in his realm. There's the pattern. No, it wasn't. They were heading that way. So the Deuteronomy is about their life in the land. And so it's being set forth as a constitution so that as they get there into the land, they'll understand how they're to live. And when the time comes that you want a king, he has to follow a certain pattern. He has to look a certain way. And the only thing it instructs him to be, it says a lot of things he shouldn't be, the only thing he's supposed to be is a man of the word. And that is a picture of what it meant to be an Israelite, to be a person who's a person of the book. Take to heart. Hear that. This is Moses, and he's not about externals alone. He wants it inside. Take it to heart. All the words by which I'm warning you. So the preaching is going forth, and they're to hear it. They're to hear the warning that you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do. You see the pattern. They will teach them to their children. The children will walk in what they say. For it is no empty word for you. It is your life. This is the context where Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, says to that serpent in the wilderness... Man doesn't live by bread alone. He doesn't live. 
He doesn't live by bread alone. He doesn't arrive at life by bread alone. He arrives at life through every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's the pattern in the New Covenant. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith will be created in the soul by hearing. And hearing will only be created when there's something to be heard. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing? Good news had to be proclaimed. You've been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. And this Word is nothing other than the Gospel that was preached to you. The Deuteronomic pattern holds sway throughout all of the Bible. God has to graciously disclose Himself. There is no obedience in Deuteronomy outside of a heart change fear that is only encountered through the Word which comes from the voice of God. If God doesn't speak, people will not obey. The initiator is God. All of the relationship is contingent on Him. It's not about humans doing. It's about humans receiving. Relationship is only reception from the Old Covenant perspective and the New Covenant perspective. We receive. And it all starts with God letting himself be known. So what I want to unpack right now, I'm going to go in reverse order a little bit. I want to unpack the obedience portion that springs from fear. That's an overflow of the hearing that's the human response to God's initiating voice. And Deuteronomy summarizes this life of obedience as love. It may even blur into the fearing aspect because of the heart realm of love. It's about affection. It's about reverence. So I'm going to hop over a couple slides here, and we're going to start right here. Deuteronomy 6 is where we're at. All of my study on Deuteronomy was called a call to covenant love. And this was the verse that was foundational. It set out as the supreme commandment. What does it mean to obey God? It means love. Love is what Israel was supposed to do. All the other commandments simply clarified how to do it. Did you hear that? Love is what Israel is supposed to do. All the other commandments clarify how to do it. Love me with all. All your heart, all your soul, all your might. So here's our familiar diagram. The idea that maybe there's a heart part of us that controls all the inner desires and emotions Maybe there's a soul. Is Moses distinguishing the heart from the spirit? And then maybe there's just something to do with just willpower, strength, something like that. I don't think that's where Moses is going. I think this is more his view. 
when he says to love God, it doesn't start with the outside, it starts with in. It starts with this true encounter, recognizing that I don't deserve such grace, and it begins to reshape as the word reaches my soul by the power of the Spirit. New desires come, new affections, new interests I say no to things that I used to say yes to and I say yes to things that I used to say no to. I begin to love God with my heart. But it shouldn't stop there. It begins to shape me as a person and it goes one level bigger. The word for soul used in Deuteronomy 6.5 is the same word used of a living creature shaped out of the dust of the ground and blown into it with the breath of God. You get the body formed in the clay, but it doesn't become a living soul until God breathes into it and all of a sudden there's a being there, a person is there. In Leviticus 21.11, dead bodies, corpses are called dead souls. It was a living being and now it's a dead being. God himself is said to have a soul. He loves people. Leviticus 26.11 He loves them with his soul. It will not abhor them. All that he is, his entire being, is manifest in love for his own. The soul is not just the spirit, according to Moses. In some of the Psalms, we get it paralleled with spirit. But if you're in the Pentateuch, in the first five books, soul is not dealing with something internal only. It's dealing with who we are as a whole person. It includes the what we look at. It includes what we eat. It includes how we act. It's our entire being. It's how we carry ourselves day in and day out how I respond to my wife, how I treat my children. What I look at on the internet matters with respect to my love for God. How I respond when I get cut off on the road or when somebody else gets a promotion that I anticipated. Loving God with all. It even goes further. It gets more uncomfortable because it goes beyond our being to our substance. To love God with all of our ESV might. The word is what we see in Genesis 1.31. And God saw all that he had made and behold it was very good. Usually the word is an adverb. 299 times in the Old Testament. Very this, very that. But now it's very-ness. It's used as a noun. And it's only used as a noun here and in 2 Kings 24 when Josiah is said to have turned to God with all of his heart and with all of his being and with all of his very-ness. But if I'm right that heart is is everything inside, and that soul is one step further, then our veriness, it would appear, would be 
everything else that's identified with me. My car, what I do with my car is supposed to scream, I love God. What I do with my time, the music I listen to and the videos I watch, the way I play sports, everything, how I treat my children, what takes place in my home, in my bedroom, in my closet. This all is so broad in Deuteronomy 6. It won't let anything not have the light of God shown upon it. Any closets have to be opened up and exposed when God says, love me with all. And that kind of life is what Deuteronomy is calling for. A radical, life-encompassing, every aspect of my involvement in the community kind of existence to love God with all. And it will only come if we fear God. And we will only fear God if we hear His Word. And we will only hear His Word if He speaks. We are fully dependent on Him for the life of love. And when I read that, and then I read what follows, these words that I command you today, these words that I command, Old Covenant, shall be on your heart. What did Jeremiah say in Jeremiah 31 about the New Covenant? Where will the law be? It'll be on your heart. Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. But they shouldn't stay there. They need to go outside of you. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talking about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. All of this, hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one, and you shall love him with all. So when we see a sunset, I want my children to know there is one God over all things. He made this, and we are to love him with all. When we stop and get our very favorite ice cream cones, we want to remember there's only one God. He's the giver of all things. From Him, through Him, and to Him, everything exists. There's only one God, and we're to love Him with all. And when you lose your job, you want to tell your kids that there is only one God, and I am called to love Him with all. This is not outside of His realm of sovereignty. It may appear that not everything is under his subjection, but indeed it is. He was on the throne before we lost the job. He was on the throne after we lost the job. And we're to teach our kids diligently when we sit in our house and when we walk by the way, when we lie down and when we rise. When we experience marital conflict and our kids are wondering what's going on, 
And you and your spouse find yourselves living in two different places. God is looking for you to stand up and say, Kids, we have one God. And maybe I haven't lived like that. But he is now calling me to love him with all, whatever it takes, whatever it means, to find my heart surrendering to his ways. To identify with this one God who is a God passionate for reconciliation. It's what drives his soul that he might be glorified through a people that he's identified himself with. And kids, I want to teach you that today as I humble myself before your dad or as I humble myself before your mom or if we lose a grandchild to be able to look at my son and daughter in the eye who've just lost this child and say our God is one and I'm going to look to him for strength that I might love him with all And I want you to do the same because only there is there hope. Only there will we find help. He is our God and we are not moving because we know he's not going to move. Teach them to your kids. When you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Let them be as signs on your wrists governing everything you do and may they be as frontlets between your eyes governing everything you see. I have one God. I have one God. I will not look. I will not perceive wrongly. I will hold to the truth and I will do what is right in my actions and in my perception. And you shall write them on the door frames of your house declaring what goes on here is God's. And you shall write them in your gates, declaring that all that takes place in the workplace, all commerce, all interaction, all trade and all bargaining, all services you give, all services you take, are done in the framework, my God is Yahweh alone. This law is all-encompassing. And it gets unpacked in the rest of the book. But the love command doesn't change into the New Testament. The way it gets worked out takes on different forms due to different contexts in redemptive history. But the call to love God and love our neighbor doesn't change. Now in Deuteronomy... This is that big section that we would normally think of as law. Chapters 12 through 26, all it's doing is unpacking what is love for God going to look like. Love is what we're to do. All the other commandments simply unpack how to do it. And all of this is only going to happen in the context of having a proper fear of God, taking God seriously, which will only happen if you've got your nose in the book. And you're pleading with God, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your word. Give me ears to hear today, God. Speak in a way that I can hear. Hear, O Israel. That's where he starts. 
Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one and you shall love him. It all flows out of hearing rightly. So if sin has got a grip on your life, plead with God today. Give me better ears to hear and recognize that you won't hear unless you're taught. And here's where God's given us his teaching. You won't overcome sin if the Bible's not part of your life. The Deuteronomic model. Missions. I'm just going to read this one verse. What is all this life of love and obedience about? It's about missions, according to Deuteronomy. We obey so that they may see our good deeds and bring glory to our Father in heaven. That's Deuteronomy's perspective, not just Matthew 6. I've taught you statutes and rules. Keep them. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations. Others are going to notice when you live out this life of love that's overflowing from an upright, true kind of fear in God which you've received because you've encountered the Word because God was gracious enough to open your ears. I've taught you statutes and rules. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, wow, what a great nation. This is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as we do when we pray? What great nation is there that has instruction so upright so built on the right order of reality so that man is not lifting himself up above others, but man is recognizing that he is low and has received much mercy from the God who alone is over all things. What upright statutes you have. Missions. And what is it going to do? It's not just the people are going to just say, what a wise and understanding people What does he say? For what great nation is there that has a God like us? For what great nation is there that has a word so clearly articulated, so upright as we have? That draws attention to God. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And one day missions will pass away and worship will continue forever. But here's the problem. Deuteronomy 9 and many other texts make clear Israel is stubborn. Israel is rebellious. Israel is unbelieving. Sometimes Teresa sees those tendencies in me. Stubborn. That's not right order as the head in this human family, I am under authority and called to serve. Oh, may God overcome the hardness, our stubbornness. May he make us believing, trusting his promises. He is with us always. Israel was deaf. Look at Deuteronomy 29. We're wrapping it up now. Deuteronomy 29, verse 4. God called them, Hear. Teach the word. Read the word so that you may hear. So that you may fear 
and obey. But God did not give them a heart to know or eyes to see or ears to hear. God didn't give it to them. And because of this, Paul characterizes the Old Covenant as having a ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation. Israel wasn't given ears to hear, and because of that, they never obeyed. Here's Paul. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. Ruth, Rahab, Joshua, Caleb, Ezekiel. The elect obtained it, but Israel didn't as a whole. And here it doesn't say God didn't give them a heart to understand, didn't give them ears to hear. Now it says God actually gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear. That is the old covenant. Moses anticipated it. Paul said it happened. It was, a, it was a, an age of destruction and death. Are you more identified with the old age of destruction and death or are you living in the context that has been secured for us only in Jesus? An age of hearing. Here is the age of hearing. No one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught teaching. But not a teaching that results in no hearing. No, they will all be taught by God and the result will be that they will hear and they will learn from God and they will follow that's, that's where we live are you there today when the word is preached do you see your ears opening your heart knowing God more it will overflow in a change transformed existence they will all be taught by God everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Are you his sheep today? Do you have this new direction in your life? Not perfection overnight, but a true progression that's happening. Do when you look back, do you see evidences of grace? Grace of a God who's not only spoken, but opened your ears. Moses longed for the day we're living in. The day when the Christ would come, and when God could mercifully open ears, and justly open ears, because his son would bear the wrath. Let's pray. Father, grant that we may have ears to hear and may it overflow in lives that honor you more. Give hope to hurting hearts today. May this word not fall on the thorny soil where the cares of this world rise up and choke it, 
rendering it unfruitful. Rather, may you by your grace allow this word to fall on healthy soil that's ready to receive the word and may it give birth to a deep-seated fear of God which believes God's promises and results in persevering trust in a God who will be, is always faithful. Give hope today. Give tenacious determination to fight sin today. Open ears in Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the ministry of Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Jason DeRoshi. For more information on Bethlehem College and Seminary, we invite you to visit online at bcsmn.org. For more information on Dr. DeRoshi, visit online at deroshi-meyer.org. Proclaiming the Kingdom and Treasuring a God who Rules, Saves, and Satisfies through Covenant for His Glory in Christ.